Ladies and gentlemen, live from KUHS Radio in Denver, Colorado, it's The Joe Man Show, starring Joe Man. Special guests, Adam Stark, Ali Janish, and Jimmy Bartlett. Musical guests, Joe Man, Leah Luna, DJ Dragon, and DJ Tragic. Without further ado, here's your host, Joe Man. You're tuned into the Joe Man Show here on KUHS Denver. I'm your host, Joe Man, and tonight we've got a very special episode for you. My friend Adam Stark is joining us in the studio tonight. Adam is from Beatport and Beta Nightclub and is regularly opening for some of the biggest names in dance music here in Denver. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me. And I also have my friends Jimmy Bartlett and, well, my friends, I shouldn't say plural, friend Jimmy Bartlett and my girlfriend Ali Janish from Bluebird Botanicals joining us tonight. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll have us uh, start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, Adam. Um, well, I mean, you gave me such a great introduction. I usually just say I talk shit on the internet for a living. Um, so... I mean, I, I work in the nightlife industry and in the electronic music industry, really. Like, you know, I'm a software engineer for Beatport. I've been there for about three years now. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been, you know, I'm a resident DJ at Beta Nightclub. I've been going there for nine years now. Um, <laughs> That's and, quite a while. Yeah, you know, I've been, I was there the night they opened. Um, if they ever do close, I'll be there the night after they close. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. That's kind of just, I'm just a nightlife personality, really. So how did you get pulled into the beta fold? Uh, I was just, I've, I've literally just been going there since they opened. Um, back in, like, I think 2009. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 2000, 2008, actually. Uh, you know, I was, I was a young, fledgling child <laughs> in, the, uh, in the dance music scene. And uh, I was, you know, that was one of the best clubs in the city yeah and they were the only ones really booking huge talent i remember <laughs> benny benassi was there the night that i or that i went there he played the night uh and i kind of have just been going ever since like i was there last night i was there thursday night i'll be there next thursday night actually n- yeah two weeks from now i open for bt um i know yeah I'm excited for that one. i mean it's just i've just been going there forever it was the choice when i was like 19 20 years old and beta opened in 2009 if i remember correctly so this year is their nine year anniversary okay so i think that would mean that they would have to have <clears throat> opened in 2008 if i remember okay. correctly okay cool but yeah and so you just frequented beta for a long time and then eventually started doing promotions for them and kind of worked your way up from there yeah i mean i was just a club rat <laughs> it was a groupie i was, I was yeah I was a, that's good that's a good word for it um we're all I, groupies at one point I yeah. Think. yeah some of us just never get out of it yeah 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 um no i i started like I, I started passing out flyers for the club i was on the street team and then i rose up to like running my own street team and then i ran all the street teams and then i got to throw like shows upstairs in the lounge and after that i got to uh i got to play on the main floor and then i got to play direct support and now I'm here. Nice. I just kind of did it long enough, really. Yeah, I think we all just kind of start out with a dream and persist and stick around, and eventually people start to remember your name and start to recognize you, and and then, you know, you, just more opportunities become available to you. I, just, I remember when... I remember when 
my fantasy was to meet BT in person, and now I've met him like five times to the point where I'm pretty sure it makes him uncomfortable when he sees me. <laughs> <laughs> this guy again. Oh, shit, it's Joey again. I wanted to go on the record that we made it exactly two and a half minutes into the show before you brought up BT. <laughs> That's a new record. That's, That's a, a new, new record. record. I, we may have brought BT up at every single show, for, yeah. for all I know. <laughs> we, we have. Oh, you're certain of that. <laughs> yeah, at least this time I'm here to defend myself. Yeah, that's true. That's true. No fun. Def- defend yourself and your Putin body. <laughs> I am the trans potato. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if you saw the artwork on Facebook. If you're online, uh, you can go to Adam Stark's page and you can see I photoshopped um, this orgasmic picture that he took while he was DJing at Beta Nightclub, where he's just looking up and everyone's calling it the transgasm. And I decided to Photoshop his head onto Putin's body, and it's uh, startlingly realistic. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I, I want to say you're just good with Photoshop, but in all reality, I just don't think you had to do very much. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, just a minor color correction and, you know, cutting and blending, and that was about it. <laughs> I mean, according to Gosh, the, the body matches quite well. <laughs> hey, you know, I, uh, I guess I can't really argue with that. <laughs> So uh, you work for Beatport, and those of you who aren't lis- who are listening uh, and aren't familiar with Beatport, Beatport is probably the leading electronic dance music distributor on the internet. Um, they're basically the iTunes of dance music, and they've been around for several years. They were started up by by some Denver locals, including uh, Bradley Rulier and Jonas Temple, and a few other people that used to have a lot to do with the company. And they've just kind of expanded from there. But uh, Adam, you you are a software engineer for Beatport, correct? Uh, correct. Yeah, I uh, I have been working for them since I got hired uh, late 2014. Um, so yeah, I basically I do everything you know from the front end to the back end. I, I help I help uh, make sure that the site. You know, we build features. We we make sure the site stays online, that kind of stuff. We got a, a great team of people over there. Nice. Um, it's it's by far one of my uh, one of my f- I would say probably the f- favorite job of mine that I've ever had. Like I, I, nice. I can't imagine I can't imagine working anywhere else now. That's awesome. So what what does the software engineer engineering job entail? Um, like in layman's terms, I guess. I mean, I write computer code. Okay, that's that's it. That's Lots really of, uh, Java, right? Uh, well, we don't really have a lot of Java, but I mean, just in general, like you know, back end Python, PHP, that kind okay. of stuff. And yeah, I know you've done the back end of uh, global dance music stuff as well. Yeah, I do. I, I'm in, I'm pretty tied into the music industry in general in Denver. I I run a lot of websites for people. You know, I, I run the global dance website. I run uh, the website for Elenium. Uh, nice. I, I, so I'm um, assuming you've gotten to meet Elenium several times. Elenium. 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 Yeah. No. I, I, we're uh, we're we're friendly. Um, it's one of those like <laughs> I, I see him. He knows my name. Like you know, I, I know his tour manager and all that. They're all super nice guys. It's just we're all very busy. So it's not like I hang out with him on a regular basis or anything. Like, sure, I have I have the ability to turn his website off. So that's probably <laughs> why he's like, okay, I'll be friends with this guy. <laughs> So basically, it's like unspoken blackmail in your mind. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could put it that way. I, I like to call it Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. What, does that does that tie into the just sort of sticking around long enough until people know who you are? It's kind of like seeing Stockholm syndrome. Almost, yeah. Like really, at the end of the day, like 
what you have to do is you just have to do you have to be around long enough for people to realize that you're not just going to leave them high and dry. Sure. And then you get to do work for them. And when you work for them, you end up in a situation where you have control over so many things that they don't want you to stop working for them because you're the only guy that knows how it works. Yeah. That's that's my definition of success is just be the guy that nobody wants to let go because they won't know how to do anything without you. That's a good approach. It's certainly a secure approach. <laughs> Job security, right? Yeah. yeah. Versus yep. just being a musician amongst millions of musicians. But, I mean, that that just makes you be more persistent. Yeah. And, and more in everybody's faces, I guess. Well, it's, it's a very different thing, too. Like, being public-facing and putting art out into the world. Um, like, the things that I'm doing aren't necessarily for, like, public consumption, like running someone's email or running, you know, building a website for someone. Like, you sort of build that product and you hand it off and you don't really have anything else to do with it after that. Sure. Whereas, like, when you're creating, like, art in a sense and you're taking that and you're sort of putting it out into the world, like, it's it's kind of always yours. Yeah. And, you know, people can do with it what they will and they, they can consume it in different ways. And that's the great thing about the digital age is – we don't have the problems with preservation that we've had when it comes to art um, in previous centuries. Because I mean, you know, like the art trade, they, they, have, they have experts that have to determine the authenticity of every single piece that is added to a collection because there are such good imitators versus – and that stuff, it deteriorates over time. And like film has to be digitized now and restored digitally and have all the flecks and scratches and black marks and everything removed. And then once it's, it's been restored, it can be transferred indefinitely and stored forever basically as long as the storage medium doesn't erode. So that's what's so, I think that's probably the one biggest advantage of the digital music age is once you've created something and put it out there, it will be somewhere on the internet in in the cloud, you know, if you will, forever, forever. And that's what's so amazing. I mean, unfortunately, it's made monetizing making music a lot harder and it's made piracy a lot harder to regulate and stuff like that, but at the same time, it's it's made art so readily available and ubiquitous and and permanent that it's probably one of the biggest staples of of modern society in my opinion is our ability to pre- preserve and and protect what we create well i think there's a i think i mean that that's a very like puppies and rainbows view of it <laughs> you also have people like damn daniel yeah. Who, now, okay, that's that's part of the internet lexicon now. Who's damn Daniel? Is it, you, damn Daniel, or like just just internet memes? In Is general. that a real thing? That's damn real, Daniel, that's a real. That's thing. like Al my balls level retarded. I've yeah. never heard that before. It in my was life. literally this like it was a Snapchat, and and the kid was wearing white vans, and and the kid just took a Snapchat of this other kid and said, "Damn Daniel, back at it again with the white vans," and it became like internet. It became internet currency. Dude, it became a yeah. like it became a dubstep drop. There was like wah, 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 damn Daniel, wah, 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 wah. like it, yeah, and yeah, it, the internet it took off. It was, me, it was like the the cash me outside shit. Like <laughs> yeah, oh the cash me outside. No, no, we've touched on that. Before. But but that's, on. that's 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 like the the dark side of it though. Is you realize like okay yeah we can do all these wonderful things. We have you know in my pocket I have a a little rectangular device that gives me complete access. To the wealth of of human human humanity's knowledge over the entire course of time, mm-hmm. and I use it to watch people get kicked in the nuts and look at cat pictures. <laughs> so, like, and it doesn't seem to have done anything to quell 
cognitive dissonance because despite having all of the information in the world in your pocket, there are countless people who refuse to utilize it. <laughs> well, or, they, or they use it and they search for things that confirm what they already think is yeah. true. I mean, Basically like those memes that you see where it, said, where it shows somebody on a computer using Google and it's like what I already believe why, and why it's right, basically. Yeah. And that's what people will do. They'll just enforce their beliefs with oftentimes erroneous articles and information and video, YouTube videos. Oh my god. <laughs> YouTube videos hours long that are just complete nonsense well like there was a there was a conspiracy theory that the reason they like the reason the government had the the twin towers knocked down was because there was a massive gold deposit under the twin towers and it was the only way to actually get at it was to just blow the buildings up and so that completely makes sense that that's why they'd ram you know a 747 that sounds like into a somebody building. was high and watched batman and like a whole conspiracy in their head the, the crazy thing <laughs> is is if you watch the video and you come into it with like no prior context if you didn't know what 9-11 was yeah. before that then or any it, of the background or, or any of the things it, that actually happened right. exactly if you if you go and you watch that video it's like they make compelling points that you're like if you didn't have any context that this dude was like completely off his rocker then it it seems real yeah and that's really that's that's like one of the bigger problems is that i'm sure that guy thinks that's true yeah and and so or he doesn't or he's just cynically doing it for the youtube ad clicks <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, either way well, we've, we've taken those individuals that would have normally been you know 30 40 years ago in a shed somewhere with like a, a bulletin board putting pins and connecting string to things and, and clipping news articles and we've given them youtube and facebook as a platform you know so they'll just come up with mathematical algorithms that explain their bullshit that, that are just so convoluted that people will watch it and then they're like oh, this person must be a genius because they used numbers and statistics that I don't understand to, I to confirm, you know, my, my biases. Or I think calling it an algorithm is, is a bit of a far stretch. I mean, they used, <laughs> they used bullshit to explain their bullshit. And even using the word theory is a bit far-fetched, too, because theory, yeah, yeah, yeah. theory means that it's been tested and proven in laboratory uh, experiments and, and basically – so I, I'm trying to get everybody to start – Saying conspiracy hypothesis instead of conspiracy that's, theory. That's that's a good so distinguishment. It, does, it to doesn't make, have a sure. nice like rhyming kind of sound to it, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's fair to give that like the kind of credence that we give to gravity and yeah. uh, like general relativity to some of these conspiracy things. It's and like, it's the same reason yeah. when, when when you bring up evolution, people are like, oh, well, it's an o- only a theory. It's like, Look. well, it's only a theory that we have, you know, thousands of years of fossils and DNA and evidence to confirm, but, you know, you call it a theory, so that suddenly invalidates the Look, whole thing. Look, dude, those, those were put there to test our faith. <laughs> As were the dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God created dinosaurs to make us believe. Yeah, and the new U.S. Department of Education is, uh, emblem is going to be Jesus riding a raptor. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, probably. <laughs> uh, it should be that Abe be Lincoln. T- it should be Abe Lincoln with chainsaw hands riding a bear. <laughs> Have you well, both of those are cooler. less strange than all the other stuff that's actually been happening recently. Right? It's, like, so, it's becoming yeah. harder and harder to push the envelope of ridiculousness with how completely nuts like, the world is right now. Like, like th- there was just an image circulating yesterday um, on April Fools where everybody was like, "Let's just not even try and do April Fools because everything that's actually happening is re- more ridiculous than anything we could even come up with." Well, did you see what Russia? The statement Russia made on April Fool's Day yesterday? No. What, what they, they, they offered a service for election tampering. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing. It was on Reddit. Let me, I'll pull it up real oh quick. God. Hold on. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? 
No, I was like, I was just browsing Reddit, and I was like, for April Fool's Day, that's what Russia put out. Yeah. Yeah. Russian government posts April Fool's Day prank offering election interference. This is from CBS News, the Chicago Tribune, The Hill. Like, Oh, so it definitely happened. Yeah. It's not like... Yeah. It's not like a thing that that somebody just like made up like I just I find that absolutely hilarious that that like that's the April Fools joke. Yeah. That everyone's like, "Well, wait, that can't be a joke. That actually happened." Yeah. We're 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 making April Fools jokes about espionage now. That's how yeah. bad things have gotten. And treason. <sighs> yeah, Mr. Cheeto Benito up there. <laughs> That's, that's definitely my favorite of his nickname. I mean, he looks like he got a spray tan from Cheeto dust. <laughs> so let's turn turn it over to you guys because you guys haven't really had a chance to talk much. I've got Jimmy Bartlett here who goes by the DJ named Blendrix. He was a collaborator on my album on several tracks. And I've also got my girlfriend here, Allie Janish from Bluebird Botanicals, who uh, recently just started sponsoring my show. Um, so if you guys have anything that you'd like to say or bring up or anything like that, go for it. As the sponsor, you don't you don't have no. any uh, anything to add. No, that's what commercials are for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. My there. work here is done. <laughs> My work here. I is... come here to argue with Joey. This is like therapy. Oh, you don't have to come here to argue with me. <laughs> <laughs> we argued our way into the door. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Joey, thanks for having me on the show again. Absolutely, um, I'm glad so you're here, man. Th- those of you who are listening to this uh, in recording are probably going, "What do you, what do you mean on the show again? Uh, I haven't heard." his voice before. That's because I was on the show previously, which was the only one that wasn't recorded and uploaded because it had a full playthrough of Joey's new album, Aperture, Mm -hmm. on it. And, uh, you know, due to uh, aforementioned concerns of piracy. Yeah. uh, And and the fact that I just didn't want to put the whole album in a podcast and, you know, de-incentivize anybody looking up the album later when it actually comes out and so on and so forth. So so that episode has kind of gone into the ether. But uh, but yeah, Jimmy has been here before, but this will be the first time that you've actually been recorded here. So uh, so I'm glad to have you here, Jimmy. But speaking of the album, I I just got my hot little hands on a a copy of it. And uh, it's uh, I can't wait to just get home and like. Put put the whole thing on my hard drive and then have it in my library because this is a, this is an album I've been looking forward to for basically ever since Joey announced that he was working on one what, two years ago or something like yeah, that yep. and yeah so it, it's been this long countdown for me and now I've got it yeah so yeah it's definitely gonna be uh, that's definitely gonna be the thing I listen to in my car like that's nice. just gonna be the CD that I have in my car <laughs> oh I'm so flattered <laughs> uh, and from the day that you played that there's actually two new tracks on there that weren't on there. Yeah, I uh, oh, it. I added really? a track of mine that was never released or signed to a label because it fits the narrative and atmosphere of the album perfectly called Too Flawed to Keep You, which I've mm-hmm. played on previous episodes. Um, so yeah, and uh, and I, I just did a little bit of, I had a track called Lounge Crashers that I just decided didn't really fit the atmosphere of the whole CD, so I'll probably do something with that later on, but um but yeah, it got rearranged a bit. So um, as soon as you guys get a chance to hear it, I, I, I hope you enjoy it. But as for as for our listeners, it's only a matter of a couple weeks until I release my full length album Aperture, which has been a project that I've been working on for the past two years uh, and collaborated with several very talented musicians in the process, including Jimmy here, Blendrix, who is who can shred like David Gilmore. It's pretty amazing, <laughs> um, as well as Adam Schnitzmeyer, another amazing guitarist, and and he does a rap section in one track. And Leah Luna is on there. She's a female vocalist that's absolutely incredible, and, uh, and the track, yeah, the track that we put together um, is very um, kind of Adam K esque, plucky, and then um, 
and then my friend Sully Omar, um, aka Mo- Mobius Jack, has a track um, that we collaborated on on there called "Divided," and you'll be hearing more of those tracks periodically. Um, but since we're on the topic of my album Aperture. Uh, now would probably be a good time to play one of the tracks that it, for the few people that have gotten their advanced copies, whether they've you know participated in the album production or they were contest winners or what have you, this is the song that I've actually seen them frequently quoting on Facebook and Twitter laughing about because it's a, it's a very comedic song <laughs> called Reckless Millennial that's basically just about being a nihilistic, fucked up, reckless millennial so let's go ahead and play off of my upcoming album aperture the track joe man reckless millennial enjoy
and we're back. You're tuned into the Joe Man Show on KUHS Denver. I'm your host, Joe Man. That track that you just heard was off of my upcoming album, Joe Man Aperture, that we'll be releasing within the next couple of weeks called Reckless Millennial, and it's all about being a stoned, drunk, um, liberal mooch, reckless millennial, and I think it's pretty funny, and there's a big room house section in the middle uh, just for for silliness's sake, and... Uh, that's not the track isn't really representative of the entire album. The album goes to some very dark places and some very um, sad places and kind of a whole whole spectrum of emotions. But um, towards the middle of the album, you'll hear that track because it kind of goes to this um, upbeat place and then descends back into darkness and then kind of lifts back out again. So yeah, that track is called Reckless Millennial. You can catch that on my upcoming album Aperture. It'll be available on Amazon, iTunes, digital download, um, and physical copies. Um, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. And just a reminder, we've got our guests here tonight, Adam Stark of Beta Nightclub and Beatport.com, my friend Jimmy Bartlett, a.k.a. Blendrix, and my girlfriend Allie Janish. Thank you guys again for joining me. Glad to be here. You can say more than that. It's all right. <laughs> I just didn't want to. I'm trying not to dominate the conversation. You, you can talk about trans, transsexual unicorns for all I care. <laughs> How dare you talk about gosh like that? <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Oh, I wonder if he's going to catch that at some point. <laughs> well, Adam's sure going to catch he, it. If he's, if, he's, <laughs> if he's not so self-absorbed that he's ever going to listen to an episode that doesn't have anything to do with him, which he probably won't. No, he was excited to hear this one. I'm sure he was waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> out <laughs> yeah so man i've had a lot weighing on me lately particularly flat earthers i've been interacting with a lot of flat earthers on the internet as How of you late yourself like i that, don't know i don't know i i have this Hours. faint glimmer of hope that i can maybe at least plant a seed in their heads where they'll then be compelled to look into things deeper than what they've seen on you know bullshit youtube documentaries and, and you know conclusions that they've made while they've been tripping their asses off on acid in the desert somewhere you know i can't see the horizon like curving man so therefore the earth must be flat because it looks straight from where i'm standing oh my god everything is a lie if i put a ball on the ground it doesn't roll so obviously the earth is flat exactly exactly another one that they use is uh water does not curve therefore the earth is flat like not even referring to the horizon they actually say water is not capable of curving and one of my friends actually sent one of them who made this argument a picture of a waterfall (laughs) where the water is going over the edge of the waterfall and curving from gravity and they basically didn't respond i mean they just they just resorted to their typical tropes of calling people sheep and all of that that's the point then that you have to walk away though I know, I mean, anyway, but that's it's too much. Okay, sanity manager. And I actually I printed out the Facebook post that I made regarding flat earthers, and I think why it irks me so much. And basically, what I wrote was, it is legitimately frightening how many actual flat earthers there are out there. They actually believe that the sun and moon are illusions, have no explanation for time zones, think our poles don't exist, that the equator is made up, that gravity has no explanation other than than things go down, that all footage of Earth's curvature is computer generated, that the UN controls the Earth's edges to prevent people from finding out. 
that NASA is completely fraudulent and every dollar they've ever spent spending sending up rockets that people have actually watched take off is to deceive the public. And last but not least, no reasonable justification whatsoever for why it would be necessary to spend billions of dollars to lie about something that wouldn't even affect most people's lives if they knew. It's frightening because this level of cognitive dissonance can't possibly have boundaries or limits. They're the type of people who would probably stab somebody to death and blame it on being brainwashed by chemtrails. We really are living in the post-fact era where people will die by baseless convictions just because they want to. I mean, not like it hasn't happened before throughout history, but in the 21st century, when centuries of information is available in the palm of your hands, how? And I think that kind of ties into what we were talking about before, where it's like we're carrying around basically libraries and libraries of scientific studies and things that have been scientifically confirmed in our our fucking pockets on our phones, and people will just selectively pick out rubbish and make and base their entire belief system around that and i'm just shocked that it hasn't changed in the slightest bit now that we are in the information age it appears to be just as commonplace or at the very least they're just much louder now because they have social media accounts but that's also very damaging but because if you go on youtube And you look up Flat Earth, you will see videos with millions of views. And more disturbingly, mostly likes. Not even like a a half-half dislike-like ratio. They will be mostly liked videos about the Earth being flat with millions of views. And this disconcerts me because it is mind-poisoning. It has made paranoid psychotic people more able to spread their 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 ideologies and their doctrine of of insanity into into young unwitting you know in, in easily influenced minds and it scares the shit out of me dude at at some point you just gotta let stupid people be stupid mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's just really it like because it, it goes back to what but I, I was but saying I don't earlier. want idiocracy to happen and if well, I can do anything to prevent prevent, it you're not gonna prevent that's Dude, really? but okay, okay, but you'd be the, you'd be like the same kind of person that would say to me the butterfly effect, and you know everything has has a ripple, and you know makes some level of change. People make that argument all the time. Just about everybody I know has ever made that argument. And maybe the change that you're making is by even interacting with it and talking about it. Somebody's like, "Wait, the Earth is flat." <laughs> Don't don't say that. Come on, man. Joe, like, don't don't imply that what I'm doing is actually the opposite of what I'm trying well, to do. But I mean, you're, you're sitting over here talking about cognitive dissonance, and you're like, I'm only doing a good thing. I'm, when, not, I'm not saying, but but when in reality, like, if you just if you just ignore it and you just let dumb people be dumb, like, what's the worst they're gonna do? Be dumb on the internet. But then they're going to be dumb to somebody else, and then that person's going to be dumb to somebody else. Okay, are they going to be dumb to you or your kids? I don't know. It well, scares the shit out of me. That's your I think job. about Asher's life, and I, I think about like some no. teacher who, you know, trying to convince him that the Earth is six thousand years old. The day a, a fucking homework assignment comes home and it has anything like that on it, I am calling the teacher. And I'm going to be like, "You, you, oh, I'm going to put this on the internet, and you're going to regret it." <laughs> like, and see, and then that's that's where you can have an effect because you can tell your kid, "No, your teacher's full of shit." Yeah, that's true. That's true. My, my parents did that to me. I came home. I can't remember what it was. Was, but there was just something like my teacher told me something and I came home and my, my parents were just like, no. Yeah. Like, and here's why. And I was like, oh. And then I went and I looked it up on the internet. Sure. <laughs> Did that help? <laughs> I mean, 
I'd like to think I'm not stupid all the time. So, <laughs> I think one thing you got to keep in mind in terms of like when you're looking at the say the view counts for the um, these YouTube videos, and you can see oh it has so many likes. Part of the reason why it doesn't have more dislikes is because the people who would dislike it don't even bother clicking on it in the first place yeah. to get to the page where they could find the dislike button. So like, you think you think most people just don't even bother exposing themselves to it, right? Or um, or, or they're just like it's just see, like it's all the other nonsense see, that they don't ever bother clicking on. Because they have better things to do at the time. But that's the thing. I, I feel, and it's so painful sometimes, but I feel that it's important in order to formulate a strong argument against something, you have to expose yourself to the argument that's being presented. Sure, but you have to and desire. so I've actually I've sat through these documentaries about the flat <laughs> earth, and they're you know, they're talking to like some pilot who says, Oh, I flew a plane and you know the freaking dials like show it's just a line, so therefore the earth is flat. Like batshit crazy people. Mm. They'll find them in every line of, of work, every business out there, there's always going to be some batshit pr- crazy person willing to say something. So, of course, they find, you know, somebody who's like an ex-pilot or something like that, and they use that as the basis for their argument, and that is, you know, that's the grounding. That's what legitimizes it is the fact that, you know, person A or person B used to work somewhere or something like that, completely ignoring any contradictory con- contradictory ev- evidence, and it's I just, it just... I don't know. I mean, the thing, though, the thing is, though, Joey, like, you just got to realize, like, there are things that you believe that... that is, this, is this just going to become, like, the fixed Joey show? Is <laughs> I mean, is that not what we're on? This yeah. is, <laughs> that's why I came here. I'm uh, leaving. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize I was in the wrong building. <laughs> but, no, like, there's shit that you believe that literally nothing, like, no factual evidence would lead you to change your mind. Yeah. That's and that's oh, okay. And that's yeah. and that's how yep. that's how it I, is. I appreciate you challenging me on that. I'd like you to give me an example. Well, like if I came to you one day and I just told you, like, okay, like this is like I'm pointing at a bottle cap, a green bottle cap. Okay, and I'm like sure. this this is blue now. Okay, and, and I had the facts and the science and everything to back yeah, it you up. You don't have that science, but facts, yeah, but, but I'm saying like if there is I no situation that. where you where you would have that science. That's the thing. You're presenting a hypothesis that would never, under any circumstances, be verifiable because I can see and everybody in the room can see with their own eyes that it's a green bottle. So there is that you could give me a 200 page essay on why it's blue, and it wouldn't change the fact that it's fucking green. Give him an example that that's, that applies to real life, not a hypothetical. So, I mean, if we want to talk about like, I mean, you see issues like this all the time. In and I think a really great example of this is like, and and I'm not, I'm not going in on you in this sense. I'm just using it as an example. Oh, go go like, for it. I don't care. But like, parenting is kind of like people, everybody thinks their child is special. Sure, sure. And everybody thinks that their kid is. You know, the teacher comes in and says, "Well, your kid's doing really bad in class," and you're like, "Well, you're obviously a shitty teacher." That is the first defense that people have because people don't want to believe. You know, some people don't want to believe that their kids are idiots. <laughs> the overwhelming majority of kids are yeah. average. Statistically yeah. speaking, yeah. at least fifty percent of kids are dumber than the other fifty percent. <laughs> like that's not that's not like that that's that's not a claim. That's a fact. Okay. I, so, I think I think I get the core of what you're trying to say, and in, in, in that you're trying to say that everybody has biases. Well, there everybody has biases, but at the end of the day, like people just have things that you can't change their mind about. You're talking about sure. like the, the the idea of a sacred cow. Everybody has their sacred cow. Yeah, One exactly. way or another, it's it's some belief that they have that they that they didn't form based on evidence, and that evidence won't convince them. 
I mean, that's so why superstitions exist. It's why okay. superstitions. But I swore for years that there would never be in a, in my entire life a day where I didn't say that I was a Christian. And then I went to college and I started reading Richard, Richard Dawkins and researching things and and I and I realized I don't think that calling myself that is an appropriate thing anymore because everything that I'm realizing is true kind of contradicts my my preconceived notions about the world and and you know Ali's shaking her head Ali considers herself a Christian um I, I wouldn't say that we argue about it or we're at odds about it we just have philosophical differences but there's things that I've learned that up, uprooted my beliefs and, you and, and learn and them by arguing with people, though, right? Like people right. presented the facts to you in in a in an educational, like an institution. Sure. And, and and I think that part of the problem with trying to convince people that they're wrong on the internet is that you're in a confrontational situation. And I think that if we expose people to facts in a logical kind of matter of fact sort of take it or leave it kind of context, they might be more likely to open their mind to it. Whereas if you're if you're you know, telling them, look, you're wrong. Here's all the reasons why. It actually causes people to dig in their heels and believe harder what they already believe. Sure. Or think that you're part and, of the and, conspiracy. And I think, or... I think the same thing it applies to the flat earthers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you get incendiary or confrontational, then they just think to their, themselves, oh, he's just aggressive and angry because he's not woke or a like I am. <laughs> or he works for NASA. Or like, I literally I got in an inter, inter, in, into an interaction with a flat earther who later that day posted a meme about all the people that he was talking to being NASA spies, like <laughs> some batch of crazy stuff. Well, I actually read this thing on Reddit the other day about uh, it was uh, there was um, a USSR uh, pilot in World War II who defected from the Russians to America, like with his plane and everything. Sure. And okay, okay. so this is at like the height of the war where like Russia, like the USSR is collapsing. Like, there's no food. People uh. are lining up hours for slices of bread. That kind of situation. So he defects to the U.S., and he was convinced for two years that every grocery store he walked into, the CIA had gone in and planted stuff because he couldn't physically believe that there was so much food sure. and that there was so much variety. Because – where he came from led him to believe that this is just how it is. There is sure. only this much food and not everybody gets to eat. And so then he comes to America and he walks down the aisle and there's 37, 37 different kinds of ketchup and 12 different types of low-fat peanut butter. Yeah. And it's like it, it just – it didn't it, – it, it made absolutely zero sense to him. So his only explanation because his, he had to find some way to rationalize why there's more food than – like we throw away more food than we eat. Yeah. The only way to rationalize that was obviously the CIA planted this. Yeah. And like I think really at the end of the day, like what you see is people have this tendency to just rationalize things in whatever way they can. And when all else fa- when all logic and all reason fails, like you could put those flat earthers in a spaceship, uh-huh. put them at the International Space Station and let it go around the earth. And they'd say that it was a VR simulation. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> they would say that the that the CIA like used Wi-Fi to inject LSD into their brain, yeah. and they were hallucinating the whole thing. Like <laughs> they would come up with some completely like nonsensical bullshit argument to con- just completely explain all the logic away. Like there are 
people that you could probably get with like a logical argument where you could sit down and be like, all right, let's just look at the facts in like a in not in a non-aggressive manner. Like, let's sit down and just talk about this. Mm. There are probably sure. people that you could get with that. Sure. But I would I would venture to guess the kind of guy who's going to make an hour and a half long documentary about uh, why the earth is flat. You could never going to be swayed. You, there's there's nothing you can tell that guy that's going to make him just have an aha moment. Like sure. that light bulb burned out years ago. It's not turning <laughs> back on. I think part of the problem is that uh, pe- people are looking – we're we are sort of programmed by our genetics to look for intention where there is none. Sure. And so while a lot of the reasons why people come up with these conspiracy hypotheses uh, is because they, they see so much chaos in the world and they, and they think that chaos is evil. So they think that someone with evil intentions is orchestrating this, this chaos and this, and this kind of confusion. And, and they, they think that someone is responsible for, for pitting us against each other. And really the, the things that we think are evil, things like disease, you know, people say, "Oh, it's because of the chemtrails." It's uh-huh. like, no, disease, disease is just a natural part of, of reality, and and it kind of. Well, I mean, you, you could argue us. You could argue that there's an increase of certain diseases because of toxic chemicals. In, there's, know, but there's been decreases uh, of certain diseases based on you know pharmaceutical treatments and things like that. Sure, so, yeah, and I mean, so, modern dude, medicine has countered a lot of. Dude, that. in the sure, 1800s, but. people used to live to the ripe old age of died in childbirth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. To, to, to look at that and go, okay, so I think part of the reason why people come up with these crazy hypotheses about why the world or they think the world is is secretly some way that it actually isn't uh-huh. is because it, it's comforting to them to think that there's someone at the helm, some evil person that's making things be bad sure. rather than to just th- have things be randomly crappy for no apparent reason because sure. it's, it's it's better for them. Or, like it's or probably, inconceivable for them to just for bad things to happen it's, for it's no reason. It's more comforting to them saying. to think that, that there's someone out there who could be like toppled from this position of power and that that would magically fix the problems. Yeah. A- Allie is actually, she, what's, what's the book, Randy Pausch? What's the name of that book again? Randy your, Pausch, The Last Lecture. The Last Lecture. Yeah, she uses an, an analogy that's used in that book from Randy Pausch who, who died of cancer. Um, if I remember correctly, it's something along the lines of we're all on a spinning dartboard and every now and then you just catch one of the darts. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Well, and, uh, people... The, the the fundamental thing that people just are not able to get over sure is good things happen to bad people uh-huh. bad things happen to good people sometimes nothing happens to someone who deserves it and sometimes everything happens to the nicest guy in the world yeah and so that's that's the fundamental thing is that people have this this sort of need to rationalize the world in this sense of it's out of my control but you know karma like uh-huh. karma's going to take care of it. They sure. have this. There, there needs to be this. Or like God's going to take care of it, yeah. or whatever else. Yeah, and, and it's like there just needs to. They, it's it's very comforting for them to be able because, and I, I identify this. Like I, I grew up religious as well, mm. and I still identify with a lot of like those tenets of Christianity. Sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that makes sense. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou kill. shalt not kill, etc. Well, there's and, just there's a whole. Well, it's a lot more it's rolled in a ball of stuff that doesn't make sense so, to me. It's not you rationalize. No, it please, me, please jump in. I'm no, glad you, you are. So much logic into it. it is a complete, constant rationalization of of something that isn't supposed to be. It just it. Science and religion were never supposed to. One was never supposed to re, re, like replace the other. Sure. Period. Yeah, there is a lot of coexisting within those things. Now, religion and organized religion, 
that's not even the basis of what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, you know, but you cannot remove um, a spirituality from a lot of these things, and a lot of very brilliant scientists don't remove it. I think that there's just a lot to be said for for both. I don't. Can, just, I mean, can I you give any examples? I'm just curious. Exclusive. Can you give any examples of people that you would consider incredibly intelligent people who believe that science and religion can coexist? I certainly didn't sit there and write a list. Before. Sure, no, I, I, I'm, and I'm not. I'm not trying not to like. I was just curious if you could. I there, just there is. A, I believe have, it was it was one or the other of the um, the. Uh, People who discovered DNA that was like a very serious creationist. Okay. So like, really, yeah. Uh, wow. Or or it was it was another. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was that or, or someone who who found uh, something else having to do with genetics. But yeah. there, there's a very prominent scientist uh, who was instrumental in the kind of the the, the more recent developments in genetic um, sciences. Sure. That, that you know that is a creationist, but doesn't believe that. Uh, that the DNA or the genetics really has any sort of um, c- contraindications with with religious belief. Well, so, the thing the thing you got to realize. What do you, though, what do you think about that? Just out of curiosity. Personally, well, I mean, I, I think that someone could. Uh, I mean, it's really easy to do a lot of mental gymnastics to make mm. whatever um, you know, pre-existing belief that you have jive with whatever new information comes into play. Mm. Because, you know, um, for instance, people who want to believe that um, that God created everything, if they hear about evolution, they go, "Well, God guided evolution." Sure. So, then, then and, and actually, the the intelligent design argument has never been one that I've I've really not been able to stand. Like, I kind of get. The intelligent design argument in that, you know, our, our outcome, our existence isn't totally purposeless. But at the same time, like I, I think about, you know, some of the experience experiments where they've conducted with like bacteria and viruses and stuff like that, where they've actually narrowed down how natural selection takes place mm-hmm. and that it's not just like accidental. And it, and that's and that keep that gets the cog turning where I'm like, well, right. maybe it's not a guided thing, you know, well, and that I don't know for sure. I'll admit that I don't know that for sure. But I mean, th- we're, we're, we're talking about this through this lens, though, that, like, the thing that I always try to tell people to really ground them is that, like, there are, like, I can't remember what they're called. Like, there are, there are books of the Bible uh-huh. that are not in the current Bible. Like, there was a book of Mary Magdalene. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's, there's, it's been, there's it's the Gospel been, of Judas. Exactly. And so what people, what, what people, according to something I read recently, there was something like 8,000 16th or 17th century manuscripts that basically the the english just kind of had to consolidate to uh to please like yeah. their parliament or whatever well, and this is what this is the, the 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 thing that i always bring people back to is you know the, the modern day interpretation of the bible and christianity has been filtered through years like thousands of years of incredibly powerful incredibly wealthy people using it to their advantage as a tool to control like whatever society i don't think that stopped i think that's still happening well, personally right what my point that i'm making though is like they really cherish picked mm-hmm. the things that they needed to to kind of make that book jive with itself and, mm-hmm. to, and to get people to like really stand behind it so you're you're not really you're not really reading <laughs> vapor baiting <laughs> you're not you're not really like reading these like 2000 year old like you know Hebrew manuscripts. What you're reading is what Caesar decided should be in that version of the Bible. Sure. So, you know, everybody takes this and they have their own interpretation. It's like, okay, you know, the Bible says pretty much throughout, like, don't kill other people. Yeah. 
But then there's one passage that talks okay, about what, Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of a sudden that's what people focus on. But, like it's an interpretation. What? Okay, here's a great question. What separates that from a Dr. Seuss book like Oh, oh the Places You'll Go? Like if it's been reinterpreted and written to the point where it's practically ninety percent fictitious or somebody's agenda, how is it any different than just a book you could go to the freaking you know yeah, scholastic well, section and buy? Has, that's has my, like good morals. Well, they, they, yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. You know, because like, nobody's getting burned at the stake for one fish, two fish. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a like well, yeah. I think that's, that's I mean, kind I, of I know making our point here. I know here, it's a false equivalency, but you understand what I'm no, trying to say. You don't get to do that. You don't just get to whip out you know your argument fallacies only when they're like convenient for you. No, you understand Sorry. where I'm coming. <laughs> I get the I get the point you're making, but the point that I'm making is that everybody has like their own interpretation. Like I uh, when I when I read the Bible, I don't see anywhere in there where it says the world is six thousand years old. I don't sure. see yeah. that at all. I don't even I, I still to this day struggle to figure out where some like Bible scholar like on some three day you know, Jesus Bender pulled I it's, that out. It's a, like, I think it's a timeline of events. Yeah, and they, but they basically use the way. genealogy stuff. Yeah. They figure out all the begats, and they go, okay, well, it takes about this many years for someone to like be born and get to the point where they're old enough to have a child, and then they count the number of years that it takes for that and, to happen. Yeah, so they track the lineage. And so stuff well, like they, they're they're, tr- they're tracking the lineage of a document or you know a, a set of documents that's been filtered through you know thousands of years, thousands of people. So it's like. I think that the, the core problem that we have in society is people just take that shit too literal. And it's like, look, it's a book that says don't kill other people, like don't covet other people's shit, you know, live a, a, a good life. Like that's it, it also says to stone your children if they disrespect you. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 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 and this is my point, though. In an and they, age and, you know, where people baptize an, their children because apparently children, you know, are not exempt from going to hell from original sin and like <laughs> – Things like that. <laughs> My point that I'm making is that like, there's tons of shit in the Bible that doesn't make sense. That's yeah. that's totally fine. But if you come with your own sense of morality, your own sense of what makes sense and what doesn't, then why did you need it to begin with? If you already know and what I parts you're going to... And I asked that same question no, today to somebody else. As a parent, though, I find that shocking that you feel that children are born with this hugely innate innocence. That's what I find really interesting, even as a parent, because no, I don't. Th- I don't think like, that they are. Well, you're talking about, you know, I don't know. An infant shouldn't go to hell about. if that's what you're implying. <laughs> Look, dude, children are monsters. I'm let's sorry, not let's not skip around here. I'm sorry. Go to hell. Go, go. I'm sorry. Go. Go ahead. That's not what I was saying. But it, it's just that's amazing to me that it's like that because we teach them to be good people. We yeah. teach them how we to instill have their morals. Sure, we instill those things and understanding. They are not born and then the world all of a sudden gets its hands on them and then all of a sudden they're completely twisted and convoluted in their own sense there is just there's the environment you know nature versus nurture thing there's there's a lot of components into those arguments but as a parent especially um i don't know i just i'm sorry i don't i don't believe that we're all born these no i i I don't i don't think that children are inherently innocent either but like i said before should a baby go to hell no i don't think that that makes any sense also should anyone be tortured infinitely for a finite crime yeah and and also you're you're making the argument, you know, use things as a moral compass, but couldn't you instill good morals in your children without a religious basis? I have. And I know, I know, I know you have. I haven't raised my son in a church. I, I know. raised one, but I haven't raised my I know. Son. I'm I'm purely being rhetorical. I'm just I'm just asking sure. like in a general sense, 
why do you need it then? Like, well, if you're a good parent, you know what you're doing. It. It's 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 yeah. You're you're, you're kind of like off base here, Joey. Because like, what it is is it's just like, like, dude, like, and I, some as someone who does not have a kid, sure, like being a parent scares the shit out of me. Sure, it's like the idea that I it's no small task. Yeah, the idea sure. that I have basically like for ten years, my goal is to make sure my kid doesn't die, <laughs> and then for eight basically, years after yeah. that, my goal is to make sure my kid doesn't chop up and eat other people <laughs> so or at least that he chops up and eats the right people or yeah i mean sure the, 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 the bad people yeah we, we can go full dexter yeah. here but but like oh my god you know the idea that like i can sort of use yeah I, ha- I have like a pre-established framework of like i could just say like you need to be a good person well kid's sure. gonna ask why and yeah it's like well here read this book yeah and but, like, but, but, but your, you, frame, your framework tells you which parts to tell him to ignore. Like, if he's re- reading through Leviticus, he's going to find way more fucked up shit that you don't ever want him to pay attention to. And, and versus, and, like, giving them that as their guide, you could just say, there are consequences for the things that you do. Like, you know, you go to school and punch somebody, you're going to get in trouble. You know, you do this as an adult, you're going to go to jail. Like, why can't you instill in them the consequences of their actions versus I trying to scare them people, into thinking no, anytime they screw up, they're going to go to hell? It's, that's not a scare tactic thing, though. It's... It, at least the way I look at it is it's this – you're just using the tools that you have available. Sure. And some people arguably are more equipped to raise a child than other people. Sure. I mean I personally believe like there should be a test. to ha- Like you should have to take a written <laughs> test to have a kid in modern-day America because yeah. we've taken this you-can-do-whatever-you-want shit too far. Donald Trump is president now. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. Yeah. So like, people use the tools that are available to them. I don't think anybody's like trying – like well, not – I can't, I can't say I don't think anybody, but the majority of people are not taking their kid to church so that it'll hate, you know, gay people or sure. so that they'll so that they'll, you know, they'll live a godly life and, you know, stone the heathens yeah. like most of these people. And I, and I know this because this is how it was for me, like uh-huh. my my best friend and I met like in a youth group, like I went to church like three days a week. And I grew up around great people who had nothing but the best intentions and wanted to see me grow and flourish. And for them, it came from this framework of love and compassion. Sure. And that's how they interpreted the Bible. Yeah. And then you have people like Westboro Baptist that take like this slivers, finite version, and they're like, okay, this is how I need to live my life. Otherwise, I'm going to be like, you know, burning in a pit for eternity. And. It's people taking their rationalizations and Uh finding a framework to instill their set of morals into their children. Yeah. And really, at the end of the day, like, you're, the argument that you're making is yes, you know, you don't. People don't need that. Yeah. You don't have to have the Bible as a moral compass to raise a good a good kid. Yeah. Like there are there are parents who firmly believe that if you hang out with an atheist. Like, as, as a Christian, like, you can't hang out with atheists because yeah. they're all godless heathens. And they're going to poison you and you're going to go to hell. Exactly. Something. Now, at that same time, it's like I, I was exposed to a lot of different things. Uh-huh. And I can't say that I, I can't sit here and say that I don't still, like, believe in God. Uh-huh. But I don't have to sit here and think that, you know, because the Bible says it's okay to own slaves and beat your children, uh-huh. that, that, that's, that that's something that I should do. Well, in Graham Hancock's book um, that I – one of the best books that 
that I've ever read on the subject was so interesting because they talk about, you know, um, the idea and the, the hypothesis, not the theory. Even he might actually have it as a theory. He's incredibly intelligent. But um, is the fact that it's just it, – it's what – again, like kind of what Adam was saying is it's what they had uh-huh. and it's what they knew and it was yeah. what we – the way the information, the available information was at the time. I absolutely believe it's a piece and a time and a part of history. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's really interesting with how he lines that up, obviously, with uh, the asteroid and things like that. And especially during, you know, where the certain parts of the world were obviously taken out. Uh-huh. Um, and now that we're finding more and more science that backs that up, it makes far more sense to me that that is where an idea was born, um, as far as a lot of religion is concerned. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of how it spread. I don't, you know what I mean? You can't discount every single thing in it. Mm-hmm. Um well, there's no problem you know. with studying the origins of belief systems. Right. I think that, yeah. like, if I, uh, like, yeah. you know, again, it's good to know about, this stuff. Yeah, talking about, like, um, you know, I, I don't have any kids, but if I were to have any any kids, I would probably one of the first things I would do is to uh, once they started asking questions about the, the more important things mm-hmm. like you know beliefs, and I would say, well, some people believe this, mm-hmm. some people believe right. this other thing, yeah. um, and you know, here's the things they have in common, here's the things they disagree about. You know, sure. what do you think is the most yeah. important thing to take from any of this stuff? Uh-huh. And you, do you think that there's Part of, parts of this that really sure. don't don't bear repeating anymore, and, 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 I, re- and I realize in response to that, I realize I can come across as an abrasive dick sometimes, and I, under, I understand that. No, no, no really, no, no, no. And never. Front door. <laughs> but the thing is, I've never made the argument that religion should be eradicated. I do not believe that religion should not be allowed. I believe that religion is a freedom of democracy. I do, however, believe in separation of church and state. I've never made the argument "fuck all Christians" or you know oh, everything. You, you needs- use that exact word. No, I have you not. I have wording. not. I have not. I have focused on contradictions. I have focused on contradictions oh, between the things that I know and the things that people believe. I've never said that religion when, shouldn't exist. I've never said fuck all Christians. I've never when, said anything like that. When you're I've being said a we're rational the, human being, yes. <laughs> I have. I have seen you in some like. Fits of rage where you're just like, God damn it, fuck these people. Okay. Oh, no, it's been on Facebook. But it's that, in on, print. That was, yeah. was that in person or was that on Facebook? It's in uh, I, I, I have seen you in a, in a couple of occasions where you yeah. were just, and you were you were worked up, you were really angry, you were upset about something. I don't think you meant it. I went, I, okay, I went off today, but I never said fuck Christians or anything like today. that. Today. Okay. Today you haven't said Today. <laughs> Here's what I posted because I want to squeeze this in before you know we, we use up too much time. I posted this on Facebook earlier today. Contrary to what you might think, I have a lot of people in my life who are Christians whom I love. I considered myself a Christian for a long time. My issue is when, is when it starts getting hammered into me that religion and science are compatible. I'm sorry, but they're not. And here's why in four key points. There are more, but these are the big ones. Number one, every creation myth and every religion is flat out false. Those who denounce evolution do not understand the plethora of changes to DNA that occur over millions of years. We have an extensive record of the, pro- the progression of the genus Homo. The areas we don't have a so-called complete record, quote-unquote, are because, in case you haven't noticed, not everything that dies becomes fossilized. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, all bullshit. Not to mention the genetic defects that would result from even a few generations of inbreeding. Not to mention some of these early stories have no explanations for how sons were conceived without women present. Unless, of course, there were many immaculate conceptions, but wouldn't that kind of undermine the significance of the whole Mary and Joseph thing? 
thing. Number two, the Tower of Babel was not the origin of languages. We can date the births of our languages well before these books were written, and they've changed because of thousands of years of people being isolated in different regions of the earth, not because God spontaneously divvied everyone up. Number three, have you ever noticed that unless you're interpreting everything in the Bible metaphorically, there's a complete and total absence of anything scientific? The shape of the earth, description of the earth, firmament, heavenly waters, etc. Wrong. Germs and viruses are absent and instead described as plagues and smiting. The term day, i.e. God made everything in seven days, wouldn't exist if it weren't for the rotation of the earth, which they thought was flat, by the way. Space, gravity, other planets, chemicals, compounds, density, DNA, atoms, radioactive isotopes, carbon dating, all absent. Again, the only way to write the scientific absence off is via metaphorical interpretation, an overlapping Venn diagram of wishful thinking and cherry picking. Number four, oh, I don't know, fucking dinosaurs. So I'm sorry, when you say they're compatible or not contradictory, you're lying to yourself and others. Call me what you will. Call me prejudiced. We could get into that too. We could get into the fact that even some of the nicest Christians I know occasionally reveal religiously originated prejudices that they display through subtle jabs at marginalized groups or anyone who has chosen an alternative lifestyle than the norm. But I digress. Zealots, flat earthers, Trump supporters, etc. are all part of the same demographic of regressive, oppressive, and damaging philosophical ideology. Our EPA is now run by oil and chemical cronies, and it was largely enabled by false flag Christianity. People who don't even like Trump justified voting for him because he claimed to be a Christian. Climate change deniers all share one thing in common, so-called Christianity and the notion that God put everything here in endless supply to be reaped by his children. Islam is no better. Does that mean that I don't think religion should exist at all? Well, no, unless you're referring specifically to its influence in politics and the vital role it's played in virtually every atrocity committed by and against man throughout history. Our scientific institutions are having to fight for funding and protest their own delegitimizing by ubiquitous dogma. We are being set back by religion, so I'm sorry if it's a touchy subject for me. I mean, are, are, are you done? I'm yeah. done. Okay. <laughs> that, I mean, I get, I get the point that you're making, where, but it's like, and maybe this just comes as someone who, like, I like to consider myself a mostly logical person. Sure. So it's like, I look at the Bible, and I think, all right, cool. That's a nice collection of words that tell me not to be a shitty human being. Sure. And yes, you know, I do conveniently cherry pick the stuff where it's like, well, uh, I like shrimp and I like <laughs> tattoos and, you know, I don't know about this whole marriage thing, but, <laughs> but like most I, people don't anymore. So I, I get like, I get the points that you're making, but I just, when I, when I hear this stuff, what really just speaks out to me is it's like, it just goes back to what we said. I just, I just let dumb people be dumb. Hmm. And, you know, if people want to be like, I, I think that there's not so much a influence of religion in politics. I just think it's a bunch of people who realize if they say a certain thing. But that's the influence. Right. That's no, the influence. There's a big difference. No, there's someone actually. Because that's how they influence the people that they do. Well, that's no. the only because the, the people are dumb. But that's propaganda. Yeah. That is exactly. not the same thing as religion. And to confuse. I feel like everything you guys are saying is just substantiating my argument. No, because it, politics uses it as propaganda and as a way. To yeah. change people and mold people, just because they're using something as an influencer doesn't make the influencer itself evil. Yeah, it's it being so, used sure. you, for you evil think by someone who's doing that. So, 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 would there be such a thing as the pro-life movement if it weren't for, um, for, for like commandments that? If that, we want to talk about the pro-life movement, <laughs> we need to use we need to understand 
that that is just in, in, in essence that's a political false flag that parties use to to whitewash other issues uh-huh. so it's like they're alright we're going to have an argument about abortion now so we can get this funding bill through sure and like Absolutely. I I agree Wait, so, so you think that the from, conservatives conservatives don't actually no 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 not, not not from the conservative point of view well, so I'm talking about from this flag I'm talking about from like politics like they, uh, there are conservative people that believe that I'm not saying that they don't actually believe that but I honestly don't think that anyone in actual government in the House in the Senate I would be hard pressed to believe that any of them really care about that issue. But what's what, 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 what does it really matter if if, I mean, if they're saying that they believe it and they vote to like they believe it? Why does uh-huh. it matter if they actually believe it or not? I mean, if it walks like yeah. a duck and quacks like a duck, it's exactly. a duck. Agreed, exactly. I agree. But, and the Freedom Corps part of it, I think, absolutely does. But not every Republican does. And I think to blanket both those things together and not pretend that the Tea Party, I think I, we're not allowed to call them that anymore, are we? I don't <laughs> mean, yeah, they're the, the Freedom Corps now, now because they're, they're the Freedom Corps. that's are you me? No, I'm not even kidding. Yeah, they've, they've like tried to evolve. Wait, are you talking about the, the Freedom Caucus? Thank you, Freedom, Freedom Caucus. Caucus. Oh, okay, Thank okay, you. Okay, I just okay. knew they weren't uh, going uh, by Tea uh, Party uh, anymore, and I couldn't uh, remember. The word. Freedom Corps sounds hilarious. I picture yeah. like a bunch of Hell's oh, Angels. Freedom Caucus is much better. Yeah. Bunch of like tattoos of like American flags yep. with like little cradled babies in them. <laughs> It just sounds a lot like free Caucasians, too, I, so just, I feel like it's a bad move on their part. Like, the thing that always gets me... Freedom for Caucasians! <laughs> the thing that always gets me is, like, we, we there are these issues that are, like, predominant in politics, things that we always talk about. We talked about, like, gay marriage was a thing. They, they always tried to, to do something to outlaw it or illegitimize it forever. And, but... The thing that I've just noticed is that, like, with gay marriage, okay, so we had Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court made a statement. Mm -hmm. And it would appear that politicians have been either trying to uphold that or repeal that for a very long time. Yes. But what what always seems interesting to me is every time a vote comes up about this, every time something happens where it's like, okay, well, we need to have this discussion again, it's the same thing with, like, gu- like gun legislation. You realize that nothing ever really gets passed. And it's, it, it's, it's, right. it's always this, like, oh, we were just a few votes short here or a few votes short right, there. So you think that's intentional? You think that I the, think the, it's, the, I, the people in Congress are, like, the, even though they're voting for the measures that would, that would try to, to ban abortions in certain situations and stuff? Man, I even look though, at— I mean, I mean they, and, and it's not just—I mean, we're talking about the federal government, apparently, right? But yeah. there, are, there are states where they're basically effectively outlawing abortion by, uh, by basically making it so all the abortion clinics in the state have to close because they can't, yeah. like— So we uh, are talking— I am talking southern, specifically. Southern states are cracking down hard on abortion. They, they I, really I, are, and I, and I think that the fact that the that the that the people in government on the federal level who are supporting these bills in federal Congress are the same people who are supporting the state level stuff that's actually getting through in the southern states. That's evidence to me that they really do want to to do away with uh, the fact that people can get abortions. I don't think it has anything to do with their belief system, though. But it, but it doesn't, like, again, like, doesn't matter. The fact that they're using Christianity as a, as or or, or religion that's why in general I use the term as a false flag, like because right. they yes, use but, it as right. a yeah. but, and that's why I use not. the term false flag as well. And that's right. why I don't want to like put every Christian I know in this in this blanket like they're a horrible person. I don't think every Christian I know is a horrible person, but I do think that it's used as propaganda to push agendas very 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 effectively. Mm-hmm. Well, right. and, but and, that still doesn't inherently make it evil. Sorry. 
Like, I still don't believe that in itself makes something evil. That's, I mean, that's like saying that like the shovel is evil because yeah. people use it Sorry. to bury bodies. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Like I, I get this, this sounds a lot like a gun argument to me. <laughs> I, I purposely okay, so did o- not so use my, that analogy. So my oh the places will go analogy was a false equivalency, but uh, now we're comparing religion hey, to a shovels. Shovel is far more accurate than one fish, two fish, red fish, uh, blue fish in this conversation. Uh, why don't we play some music? All right, yep. Now would be a great time to play some music. I've got an unreleased and unsigned track for you guys here called "Diving Into Love With You." This is an original one from me, uh, and I'm going to follow that up with my collaboration with Leah Luna for my upcoming album Aperture titled Stuck in My Head. This is Diving Into Love With You, which I still need to find a label for, and Stuck in My Head, which will be on my upcoming album Aperture. Enjoy.
You're tuned into the Joe Man Show on KUHS Denver. I'm your host, Joe Man. The first track you just heard was an unreleased and unsigned track from me called Diving Into Love With You that I just recently put together. I'm currently shopping the labels. And the one that you heard after that was a collaboration with Leah Luna for my upcoming album, Aperture, titled Stuck In My Head. I hope you enjoyed the tunes. We're going to jump back into our conversation with my guests here. My guests are Adam Stark of Beta Nightclub and Beatport and Jimmy Bartlett, a.k.a. Blendrix, and Ali Janish from my sponsor, Bluebird Botanicals, the hemp extract company that is sweeping the nation. So I just want to thank you guys for joining us again. Don't say great to be here. you got to say something else. Well, I mean, it's definitely great to be here. Um... No, so uh, during kind of the break here, Jimmy and I were talking about um, we we have in the past done this sort of thing where I'll, I'll be DJing and then Jimmy will come in and do like live guitar yeah. uh, over my set. And so we're kind of fleshing out this idea. And in the back of my head, like, uh, and I, I don't know if I've ever actually really told you this, Jimmy, like the, the reason why I really like I enjoy that con- the concept and why I want to do it is uh, because for me personally, like, there's only so much, like, art in being a DJ. There's only so, like, it's, it's and especially in electronic music, like, electronic music. Do you think it's very, limited is what you're well, saying? Well, yeah. it, it is limited because it, as, as a form of expression. I mean, versus musicianship, I guess. Exactly. Right. And that's what I'm saying is as a form of expression, I can only express myself through other people's music unless I'm making my own music, which I'm actively working on. Yeah. But being a DJ, it's like, Especially in a you know in a in a popular club like Beta, the the art kind of stops at a certain point because you're really just playing music. And the the thing that I really like about w- like working with you and, and potentially working with Evan is it a it pushes me as a DJ. It challenges me because because we don't like go we don't we don't we don't come out of your amp straight into the speaker like we go into the mixer and I layer you guys over the music right. and for you me effects and stuff like that exactly so it's like I can sort of take that and process it and 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 layer it over what I'm doing and not only does it challenge me as a DJ but it challenges like me as an artist as well to find like to work with you and to find stuff that that you can play over and then to work with you know any of the said music in any specific way it's this very much to me like djing is no longer challenging and it hasn't been not necessarily just for me but it just hasn't been for a very long time because the equipment is so good now yeah that you don't even really – I'm waiting for the day when, like, someone like Cascade does, like, a, a simulcast, and they just put a video of him up in the club, and he DJs in, like, 15 clubs around the nation. And I'm waiting for that to be a thing because that's to the point where we're getting where, okay, well, why does, like, for instance, like, why doesn't Above and Beyond just do, like – you know, the ABGT, like, sponsored parties in different cities where they just play the podcast live. Like, this – like – there's a lot of, like, the technology is so good that the art is sort of being extracted from DJing because mm-hmm. um, it used to be very much like you curated your records and you, you know, they, they sounded, every, every time you played it, it sounded a little different because it was a little bit more worn out. Now it's like we're in this age where there's not a lot of art in DJing aside from just your track selection. Well, it depends on the artist. I think there's a lot of live stuff and, you know, people like, we had talked about Beardy Man and things like mm-hmm. that and... Um, you know, tell that to Bad Boy Bill. Well, and, and but that, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, but that's the thing is when so I'm doing much artistry and yeah. still, when, it can still exist. I really think it's about preference 
an ability. I don't disagree with you at all because there are there are tons of just incredibly talented like you know Ill Gates, Beardy Man, like some of these like some of these turntablists and stuff like that. There's absolutely still like you can it can still be an art form. Oh, big gigantic. Exactly, and so that's why when I'm when I'm working with you and like and we're in like my kitchen. And, you know, I have CDJs hooked up and you're playing guitar. It's like I'm, I'm listening to that and I'm thinking to myself like this. It, it feels more like this form of like artistic self-expression. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I like to bring that kind of stuff in, because at some point, like it's it, it, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's not fun to play music, you know, in front of a thousand of people. But then it's like I have to critically look at myself and be like, am I an artist? Sure. And and so being able to have someone that can sort of help me creatively push myself, like that's why I really enjoy kind of the stuff that, that we've done and the, and the things that we're trying to do just because it, it to me, makes it – it gives it a little bit more validity. It gives mm-hmm. it a little right. bit more realism. And you're taking more risks too. Mm-hmm. Like when you put live instrumentation up there where it's not beat synced and it's not like you know auto-tuned and it's not all these other magical things that people can do in a studio between that and, and the stuff you can do with like record box and stuff to mm-hmm. where basically DJing now can be extremely effortless. And to the people who are watching uh, a DJ play, they don't really – I mean, particularly for the, you know, as, as the Brits would say, the punters, you know, they don't really, they, they, they look up there and they see somebody, you know, twiddling with knobs and stuff. They mm-hmm. don't understand really the difference between someone who is basically just riding the sync button all the way through that. And that's set. why it's easier and, to fake someone that like versus picking up a guitar. Bill or, mm-hmm. yeah. So like with a guitar or, or keyboards or any of the other live instrumentation or things like controllerism where there's, you can see physically a person mm-hmm. pressing all the buttons that make all the noises. Yeah. Um, that actually adds a level of, or at least a, a feeling, I've think to someone in the audience who who looks at it and goes wow this person's really doing all that in real time yeah. and there's a total possibility that person could screw up at any given moment but it makes it more exciting because he's not it's it's like wow that that obviously took a lot of practice and i yeah. appreciate it more as opposed to like well you know i heard a mix that was better than this on youtube the other day and mm-hmm. you know or you know or like my little brother can mix like songs on his on his ipad using a, an app you know it's mm-hmm. like you know, there's uh, you can't fake picking up a guitar. Exactly, <laughs> That's it's the very, very, yeah. And and so, yeah. I guess maybe to, to a certain degree, there's there's um there's something magical about the things that can't be faked because there's so many things about the world now that are fake. That, yeah. That what now we can actually put place a lot more value on something that is irrefutably genuine. Mm-hmm. Well, and I I definitely look at it in this sense of like when I go out to a show, like I actually. Uh, not not a lot, but if a DJ like messes up, that's like okay, you're actually doing something, mm-hmm. and it's like, and I am much I'm much more forgiving mm-hmm. of a DJ that has like like a mix that's slightly off or like you know they 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 change a fader too soon, and it's like if you sure. do that once or twice in your set, then I'm like okay, like you're actually DJing. It, it adds yep. to the authenticity. Exactly. World class jugglers intentionally drop an item <laughs> once or twice in their. Uh, like in, in their routine in order to prove to people that they that they are like trying their hardest basically mm-hmm. and that they are pushing the envelope because they yeah. can get they can practice so well that they never drop anything. Yeah. But then it almost looks kind of like, well, you're a robot, obviously. Yeah. You know, but if they if they make small mistakes occasionally, then it's that it's more evident that they're really Doing this and the, and the, the, like there's a danger of screwing up those impe- so, imperfections exactly. emphasize the good exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's just I still. Like, 
Well, I mean, we did that show in, in September mm-hmm. of last year, and I still have people coming up to me like, when are you guys going to do that again? Like, that was so cool. Like, you need to bring Jimmy back. And it's just this, to me as an artist, you know, even I, I, I don't necessarily consider myself so much of an artist because I literally all I'm doing is playing other people's music. But to have people come and say, like, that was awesome. I want to see that again. Like, that makes me feel good, not because I feel like they – like, like, look how cool we were. It's just like we made that moment, and people were really into it. And they're still talking about yeah. it. Yeah, they're still oh, yeah. talking about it. And, I, and it's funny because I, I think one of the pictures on my, like, you know, Facebook has, like, the five uh, the five photos that you can select as, like, your default photos. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure one of them is, yeah, yeah. Is, is from that All show. That stuff yeah. in the purple hues. <clears throat> Well, and I just I look at that, and it's like I remember like the the, the, the last track you played on was uh, it was a remix of Dead Mouse's "Raise Your Weapon," mm-hmm. and it was just so funny how all that came together because I hadn't really like I don't think I had sent that track to you as like a we should do this track, and we just kind of ended up in such a way where like the way the tracks fell like it ended up being <laughs> in the right key. And it was like, I can actually go this route. And I, I saw the look on your face the moment you recognized what it was. And I just remember, like, in the lyrics, it's like, so it goes, like, raise your weapon. And I look over, and you've got your guitar in the air, and people are cheering. And it's like that moment for me was like, okay, we did something special. Mm. It was improvised. We didn't plan that ahead yeah. of time. It was just like, yeah. oh, this feels like the right time because I know this is the last track. Mm-hmm. I'm already disconnecting the gear and everything like that. It might as well, like... Do something kind of symbolic that goes right along. And that's it was what being a band improvised. is. That's, exactly. what, that's what being a band is all about. You'll never see two live shows that are exactly the same, especially if the band is is all in sync on an emotional yeah. um, and creative level. You'll hear you know different solos than you heard on their albums or whatever, and they'll just you know experiment and kind of deviate from what they were doing and do something different. And well, even Justin Jay and friends mm-hmm. went to the Dirty Bird camp out in California this last summer. And it was such an awesome show. And hands down, after being out there for three days listening to the best house music Mm -hmm. that you could possibly ask for and all kinds of other stuff. They had a bunch of, like, trip-hop stuff and some experimental stuff. They did all kinds of different things. And it was a really very unique festival, like, and still very small. So Mm -hmm. that's probably why it was great. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't huge yet. Yeah. the best set, hands down to anyone, almost anyone you talk to out there, was Justin Jay and Friends set. And they have a drummer. They have a guitarist. They have, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They, and they kill it. Mm-hmm. it is, it's unbelievable the difference of energy that comes from the crowd and from them. You know what I mean? just goes back and forth. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's just what, what always stroke, struck me about that show is like. What always I, stroked me. Yeah, <laughs> what always stroked me. Yeah, no, that's about right. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. Full chub. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what always really got me about that show is, like, I'm very, like, I'm an individual that places a lot of emphasis on, like, crowd interaction during my sets. I'm very much, like, my own hype man, and I'm trying to get the crowd into it and excited, and I'm trying to play music that I think they will connect with. And for that show in particular, like, normally I'm very much, like, reading the crowd, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, where should I go up? Should I go down? What key should I go to? How many semitones should I change? That kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm looking at that, and I'm constantly scanning the crowd to try and get a pulse for how I'm doing as a performer. And for the half hour, like, the first 15 minutes, like, I was very much in DJ mode, and I was doing that exact same thing. And then that first track that we started on... um, the uh, the on the beach track the Nora and Pure remix um, love that song <laughs> as soon as 
as soon as that happened, I completely, and this is not, this has not happened to me ever. I came completely out of DJ mode and I was so in the mixer and I was like, okay, this, how does this sound? And I was checking everything and, and really focusing on the technical aspect of what I was doing. And I was like, I need to nail every one of these transitions. Mm-hmm. I need to do this. And I haven't had that level of like, like sort of tense. I don't want to, it's like, kind of fear but it was just this like tension of like i need to nail this on every Engagement. level yeah and i was so in the mixer that i wasn't paying attention to the crowd and i wasn't mm-hmm. trying to be like a hype man or anything like that i was so focused on what i was doing and then to walk up to walk out of that and have everybody be like oh my god that was amazing like that was and like hearing the crowd go nuts like i don't really remember the the like the half hour like too much other than like a few specific moments Mm -hmm. which was like you know i remember strobe i remember the last track and the first track Mm -hmm. but other than that i was so focused in it and it was such a different feeling for me to Mm -hmm. be like super technical about my craft yeah and not have to worry about does the crowd (laughs) does the crowd like this do they want to be you know do they want more of this are they enjoying themselves like, I just got to this point where I was like, we're just going to do this, and if the crowd likes it, then they'll like it. And, and if they'll they, get more of it. And if they yeah, don't, they, then they, they won't. Months. Right. And, and, that's, and that's what DJing should be, in my opinion. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, so I've got a couple tracks that I want to squeeze in just before the end of the show. First track is a collaboration between me and Denver DJ Tragic called Maximus that's uh, based on the classic um, Russell Crowe movie, Gladiator. And I want to follow that up with an unreleased collaboration with DJ DJ Dragon um, of a remix of Owl City's Vanilla Twilight that never got released. Um, I, I think it got really didn't get released for a number of reasons. I think it, technically I just wasn't there yet, and it's kind of muddy in certain places, and like the vocals weren't shifted to where the artist wanted them, and a couple other things. But nevertheless, I listened to it the other day, and I was like, eh, this is kind of cool. So I'm going to play that. So this is Maximus and Vanilla Twilight, the Joe Man and Dragon remix. Enjoy.
into the Joe Man Show. This is Joe Man here on KUHS Denver. Uh, we're reaching the end of our show, so I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. And I would especially like to thank my guests for joining me. Um, my guests, Adam Stark of Beta Nightclub and Beatport.com, Jimmy Bartlett, a.k.a. Blendrix, and Ali Janish of Bluebird Botanicals. Let's have you guys uh, just really quickly tell us where people can find more information about uh, what you guys do. Uh, well, I mean, I have a, my, I have a Facebook page, Adam Stark Official, uh, Twitter, Adam Stark Music, SoundCloud, Adam Stark Official, Instagram, I think, is Adam Stark Music as well. Um, yeah, I mean, just uh, I talk shit on the internet, so it's not hard to find me. If you if you know where to find Joman, you know where to find me. All right, and uh, Jimmy. Okay, uh, well, uh, my um, music name is Blendrix. Pretty much all my social media is under that. That's B L E N D R I X, and basically, there's no officials or music or any of that kind of stuff because it's such a weird word that I didn't have to put any of that on. So yeah, uh, we get on. it, Jimmy. You're more original than I am. <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna say it, but <laughs> um, so uh, I, I've been kind of dormant on the on the new music scene on myself or, uh, or situation for, for a while myself but uh trying to collaborate a little bit with other artists so um as far as new stuff for me be looking out for you know joey's album when it comes out and um if you guys are in the denver area come out and see me and adam next time we do our live thing um yeah. Th- thank you blendrix uh and Allie. Yep, and the website for Bluebird Botanicals is Bluebird Botanical or Bluebird Botanicals dot com for high quality hemp extractions. 
thank you guys so much for joining me and thanks for, to everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to The Joe Man Show on KUHS Denver and I hope everybody has a wonderful evening. Thank you.